Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And you know, most of us live, I, I feel, in kind of a balanced world where, on one hand, yes, you have the government doing heinous things occasionally. Um, careless things, uh, sometimes just very you know manipulative things. Uh, you know the U.S. military alone, what flying flying around attack drones. Uh, the U.S. government sifting through our email. But on the other hand, there's uh, there's also kind of a comedy of errors to everything. Sure, this is a point that I remember Scully made it in at least one episode <laughs> of the X Files, but I feel like it should have been made more often. Though it. Guess it didn't apply in the X Files because in the X Files the conspiracy is always real, right? <laughs> but uh, but at least in one episode she makes the point that I think you're giving the government too much credit. Yeah, this is often a, a feeling I have when talking to somebody who believes that there's a vast conspiracy that's controlling world events through secret channels that are somehow always just just one step ahead of the people trying to find evidence of them. M- my feeling is. By and large, the government is so incompetent at everything. How could it possibly carry off this one thing so well? Yeah, there's, when you look at, at various delusional um, situations that involve the government uh, and, and, and persecution of an individual by the government, uh, there's this the whole the whole governmental system has to be working like this perfect machine mm-hmm. to target that individual and then and then then of course you have to raise questions like why this individual why is so much work going on why are why are, what why why are all these tax dollars going to say beam thoughts into this random person's head ah well now you have zeroed in on one particular conspiracy right yes. the conspiracy to target a person and use some kind of electromagnetic radiation or uh, you know auditory electronic technology to put messages in their brain to beam noises at them that make it impossible for them to sleep to uh, to give them deafening booms and clicks and unpleasant sounds in the attempt ultimately to drive them crazy yeah this is uh, often referred to as v2k or voice to skull i'm not sure why it's not v2s uh there are other terms that you'll see pop up if you go into the corners of the internet that explore this phenomenon mm-hmm. some of the things you'll hear are electromagnetic torture or electromagnetic harassment or auditory harassment uh what are some others gang stalking is another one. Oh yeah um just uh, you know, just electronic mind control. Just the idea that there's generally like a cabal of shadowy individuals that are just outside of your reach. Maybe at the van at the end of the street or in that apartment next to you, and they are just they've got all the technology and they're using it to infiltrate your thoughts. Yeah. So we don't want to mention or call out anyone directly. That's not our intention here. But if you are interested in what this looks like, you can Google any of these terms we just mentioned and check out the websites, forums, message boards where people are propagating these ideas. This is a a popular idea now, especially that you can find on the Internet. Yeah, go to any one of these websites and you'll find a slew of them if you just throw in the search terminology. And they you'll find that they serve as kind of uh, each one is kind of like a Petri dish 
mm-hmm. for paranoid delusion. Um, and, and often it'll involve uh, V2K, uh, this uh, voice-to-skull transmission we're discussing here. Sometimes it'll also throw in things like uh, brain stem implants that have been uh, secretly uh, implanted in your skull that are aiding the uh, shadowy individuals in their persecution of you. Yeah, and these communities have been evident online for a while. There was actually a New York Times article I found all the way back in 2008 talking about the emergence of communities uh, related to supposed gang stalking or mind control or electromagnetic torture emerging on the Internet. And it raised some interesting questions, I thought. One of them was about whether these online groups overall have a positive or negative effect on the people suffering from the belief that they're being harassed by these devices. Uh, On one hand, sites like this can allow people to maintain harmful delusions through repetitive reinforcement, and obviously that's not a good thing. But on the other hand, they do provide people with a sense of community support and positive psychological effects of validation. Like, in some cases, it can help just to be told you're not crazy. Yeah, just to have somebody else in the world who seems to be going through the same thing you are. Yeah. but then, yeah, it's also in the article they make the comparison to a shark. It's like the, the shark that has to keep moving to stay alive. And uh, this um, uh, these websites allow that shark to keep moving. It feeds the delusion mm-hmm. and, and sometimes strengthens it, give you, gives you a, a more script, more more meme, more pre-existing trope to draw on. Like maybe you didn't even think about the pos- prospect of having a, a brain stem implant, but now that idea has been introduced. And yeah. when it's introduced with, say, pictures of what the, the back of your uh, – your, your earlobe will look like if there was a, an incision there. Yeah, we were looking at one of these websites before we recorded today, and they had images of, of the supposed scar tissue that forms after the implant is placed behind your ear and your skull. And we had the thought, how often do people look at the backs of their ears? Yeah, it's that... There are very few, uh, unless you're in a you know, medical profession or what have you, you're, you're probably looking at the backs of very few uh, ears, you know, where you actually bend back the ear and look and look there. And so in these uh, particular photographs, they were showing, uh, you know, a cochlear implant uh, that had taken place. So you see this big uh, stitch there and then showing you what I take to take to be just a normal ear. But they're they're trying to point out, oh, well, there's a line right here. This is clearly where the uh, the implantation took place. Yeah. So, yeah, you might not have that in your head, but now you've got to this place, you're you're sharing in uh, these new delusions as well as uh, strengthening your pre-existing ones. Yeah, and then there's also a complication that emerges when you're talking about the idea of a delusion because many psychological authorities historically have made exceptions for beliefs held by large communities of people. So there are often exceptions for religious beliefs. If, if a belief is part of your religion, it's not considered a delusion. The same is true for cultural or subcultural beliefs. If you belong to a culture that shares these ideas, then it's not considered a delusion. But what happens if people experiencing similar delusions find each other on the Internet and form a community. Yeah, that's something uh, British uh, psychologist Dr. Von Bell brought up in that New York Times article. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the author uh, interviewed him, and he said that uh, that if it's, uh, if it's a culture or subculture, it's not a delusion, according to the American Psychiatric Association. Uh, it, it kind of has the same, occupies the same space as, say, a religion where... Uh, a divine being may speak to you, and you may speak to the divine being, and it's perfectly acceptable. Uh, there's no technology involved. Uh, mm-hmm. It's all mysticism, so we tend to give it a pass. Yeah. 
But well, well, what happens yeah, the, when it's V2K? Right. The the idea of other voices appearing in your head is not new. I mean, this goes back thousands of years. Mm-hmm. But there's a new version of it. There's a new thing to attribute it to, which is this electromagnetic radiation coming from devices, which we will talk about in this episode. Personally, I think it's tough coming up with the right response to things like this because I don't want to be insensitive to people suffering. Right. Even if what they believe is happening is probably not objectively true, their their subjective suffering is totally real. And so I don't think it's plausible that government agencies, men in suits in the black cars or I guess the white vans in this case, are secret secretly running a massive microwave torture campaign on random people throughout the population. But I also suspect it's not very helpful to these people just to have one more person tell them they're wrong. So my goal isn't just to tell these people they're wrong. Ultimately, I don't know what the most helpful thing to do is, but it's tough. Yeah, I mean, on one level, we're definitely not doubting the... the, um subjective experience mm-hmm. of what's going on. I mean, it, anytime an individual is uh, is experiencing something paranormal, the experience is still valid. Then the reasoning for that experience, uh, that's uh, open for discussion and generally leads one to a scientific explanation. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, what do, you, what do you do in a case like this? Because like the same person who is hearing voices, you wouldn't say, oh, well, you should just go to your church about that, where someone might tell you, oh, well, that's the, the devil talking to you or God talking to you, when clearly there's something else going on there mm-hmm. that requires professional assistance. Yeah, and then on the other hand, encouraging people's delusions can have actual negative consequences for the people suffering from them because – when someone is suffering from a persistent belief that is not supported by evidence, they are additionally vulnerable to predatory behavior by mm-hmm. people who might be trying to exploit them or get money from them or something. Yeah, I mean, I saw on some of these websites, uh, and, and you know, it was at times these websites are kind of a ramble mm-hmm. and kind of just an explosion of text in a way that it's difficult to find the thread of what's being discussed. But uh, I, I ran across one where there was talk of getting your your implant, your brainstem implant treated or deactivated by uh, paying somebody like a thousand dollars and going to stay oh, in man. a hotel room in New Jersey or something to that effect. So someone is charging money. Yeah. So, you know, you you get into and I'm not, you know, I don't know exactly what the details are in that particular treatment, but it raises some questions for me. That's for sure. Yeah. And you you may actually have encountered some stories about people who claim to be suffering from from V2K attacks in the media. One example was the 2013 Washington Navy Yard shooter. Yes, uh, Aaron Alexis. And, uh, yeah, this one, uh, it came to light after the uh, events that he had, uh, uh, in the past told police that some individual, quote, had sent three people to follow him and to talk, keep him awake and send vibrations into his body. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's a sobering reminder that, uh, that where these illusions can lead. I mean, certainly not in every case, but, uh, but the, this, this is a, this is a harmful, um, psychiatric condition. Yeah. So what is the actual mechanism that's being imagined here and how does it connect to real world technology that actually does exist? And then th- yeah, this is where it gets interesting and it uh and it again comes back to, you know, your your imagined individual here our 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 
prototypical individual who's maybe hearing voices mm-hmm. goes to one of these websites. And certainly there's a, you know, a lot of, uh, of, uh, of ideas are thrown at them, a lot of conspiracy theories. But if they dig around enough, they'll also find um, references to actual science, yeah. to the actual uh, microwave auditory effect, yeah. which we're going to discuss here today. Yeah, so that's sort of the central idea of this podcast. What is the microwave auditory effect? What causes it, and how can it be applied technologically? Well, first, let's demystify microwaves in general. Right. If you read some of this literature, you can get a sense that microwaves almost have this magical kind of power, Mm -hmm. that there's something very special and sacred and dangerous about them. Microwaves are incredibly mundane. Yeah. We use them in everything. Right. They're in, you know, 10 pieces of technology that you can see right now. Yeah, your phone's using it, yeah. your computer's using yeah, it, your Wi-Fi router, the microwave oven in your kitchen. Mm-hmm. It's Microwaves are all around us. Specifically, microwaves are a form of non-ionizing radiation on the electromagnetic spectrum. So they're EM radiation. They're the same type of radiation as visible light, as ultraviolet, as gamma rays, X-rays, and radio waves. And so what makes something a microwave is its wavelength, where it falls on the wavelength spectrum of electromagnetic radiation. Yeah. Now, and I've read that the the widespread use of microwave ovens helps color this kind of negative idea. Oh, yeah? Because if you're unfamiliar with any other use of microwave uh, technology in your life, you're probably familiar with the one that is in your kitchen. Mm-hmm. And you have seen it, say, incinerate a burrito before. Yeah. Uh, so, so Or it, fail it, to incinerate a right, burrito. Right, or fail to incinerate a burrito, imperfectly uh, heat up a burrito. Uh, <laughs> so you've seen this this kind of, uh, it's kind of nefarious if you start thinking of your brain inside the microwave oven. Mm-hmm. But, but of course, microwaves are not just invisible fire. You know, if you think of it like invisible fire, it can take on this scarier, uh, the scarier effect in your brain, but but actually the cooking effect of a microwave oven is just taking advantage of the fact that water is a polar molecule mm-hmm. and that microwaves can make water molecules vibrate, which creates heat. Okay. Now, it is worth noting that uh, the technology does allow us to do something called power beaming or uh, wireless power transmission. Though that is substantially different than beaming thoughts into your brain. Right. But it is very interesting. This is something I've talked about in my other podcast, Forward Thinking, quite a bit. Uh, Wireless power transmission is a cool idea. So one of the ways you've probably heard of wireless power transmission working is through inductive coupling. And that that's going to be a different kind of thing. That's like how you might charge your toothbrush without actually having to plug it into any contacts. Instead, mm-hmm. it just works by generating an electromagnetic field that stimulates a coil inside the toothbrush and charges it that way. But with uh, wireless power transmission through microwaves, you're actually talking about beaming microwaves at an antenna called a rectifying antenna that receives the microwaves and converts them into DC energy. Yeah, the uh, one of the more famous examples, of, like early tests of this, uh, was in 1964, and I believe there and there's there image there are at least images, if not video, of this online where you can see where they uh, they use um, microwave power transmission to beam power to a miniature helicopter and keep it up in the air for ten hours. <laughs> 
So it's that's pretty cool. Yeah, and, and I've seen some interesting, you know, things about the possibility of say permanent aircraft where you have them, mm-hmm. you know, up in the air and they continually get recharged via wireless power transmission. It, it factors into uh, uh, various designs for spacecraft with yeah. use of lasers for even uh, long distance spacecraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Lasers being the other common way of beaming mm, yes. power like that. Uh, one of the coolest ideas to me that involves wireless power transmission by microwaves is orbital solar power. Have you ever heard about this proposal? Yes, this is where you go ahead and just get the solar uh, panels up there in orbit or yeah. even on a, another entity up there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, say the moon, what have you, and then let it collect the energy up there and then beam it back to the planet. Right. I mean, it's a big problem to have solar panels on the surface of the Earth because they're blocked by clouds. Mm-hmm. They can, you know, and it's nighttime a lot of the time. What if you just have them out in space where they're always getting direct sunlight that you don't have to worry about clouds or nighttime? That would be wonderful. But how do you get the power? And the idea is that they would beam the power back down to Earth via microwaves. And so you'd have this gigantic field of rectifying antennas to receive the power that's being beamed down to the surface, and then they could send that power out to places where we could use it. So microwaves are pretty fascinating. They go beyond yeah. cooking your burrito. Uh-huh. They could power spaceships. They could they could power the planet. Um and yet there's a there's a curious little um, side effect that we're going to that that we end up discussing here the microwave auditory effect which uh, which came out of early investigations into well what are the effects of microwaves on an organism right because sure. cuz not just cooking not just cooking you know cuz as we're developing this technology we're very interested in how how's it going to affect uh, us the the human user yeah and we should be upfront that a lot of these studies that we're going to be talking about I think very much did involve a military or weaponized focus. Yeah, I mean, because... Like, I mean, of course, anytime there is an invisible beam that can cause things to cook, yeah. you know, and there, plus, there you've got a perfect weapon. Right, and plus also any, any you know, a number of things in the post-war <laughs> and Cold War period were investigated that were far less reputable than this. I mean, uh, on, on this show before, we've talked about... Uh, uh, and I know I've blogged about uh, like military uh, investigations of essentially paranormal mm-hmm. um, activities such as telepathy and remote viewing uh, just to see if it was valuable because, hey, you know, the, the Russians are going to look at it. We might as well look at it, too. And maybe there's probably nothing there. But what if there is? Right. So you have to investigate it. Uh, I love to imagine what would have happened if things had gone the other way and they discovered that, oh, yeah, all these phenomenon are great for warfare. They do exist and we can use them. And now we've got the telekinesis brigades. Yeah. I guess they're the vanguard of our approaching forces and they they just like throw all the barbed wire out of the way. Exactly. (laughs) Anyway. But this one was legit. This one. Yeah, uh, this is this is real research uh, into the microwave auditory effect. It is a totally verified phenomenon. And it goes back to a guy named Alan H. Frey. Yeah, he was a neuroscientist uh, looking at the effects of microwaves on uh, organisms. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 1962, he discovered the microwave auditory effect. Sometimes it's even called the Frey effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and, he, and he published this paper, which is easily available online in large part because it's a scientifically viable uh, bit of evidence for yeah. uh, the, the more uh, diluted aspects of V2K. Well, you know, I think the version of the paper that I read, I'm pretty sure was hosted on a on a V2K attack website. Yeah, yeah. sadly, that was like the best place to get it yeah. uh, without paying for it. Um, <laughs> but uh, 
But yeah, he's, uh, Frey says in his, uh, pa- says in his paper, he says, with appropriate modulation, the perception of various sounds can be induced in clinically deaf as well as normal human subjects at a distance of inches up to thousands of feet from the transmitter. With somewhat different transmitter parameters, we can induce the perception of severe buffeting of the head without such apparent vestibular symptoms as dizziness or nausea. Changing t- transmitter parameters again, one can induce pins and, uh, pins and needles sensation. Yeah, so the effect he describes essentially is that they could aim pulses of microwave radiation at people's heads Mm -hmm. and induce the sensation that the person was hearing a sound. There was no sound. Like, if you weren't standing in this beam, you wouldn't hear anything. But based on how this beam was interacting with the people's bodies, specifically something in their heads, they thought they heard noise. And the noise was described as a buzzing or a clicking, I think. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to originate from inside the head or from directly behind the head. And it didn't matter what direction you turned in. So you could walk all around in different directions. And no matter what, it would seem to be coming from the same place inside your head or directly behind your skull. Now, Frey thought the microwave auditory effect could possibly be used as a, a tool to explore nervous system coding uh, and for stimulating the nervous system without the without the damage caused by using, say, electrodes. Right. Yeah. So I think early on, the some people hypothesized that it was coming from an interaction between the microwave pulses and auditory nerves or neurons. Mm-hmm. But I read in uh, in an abstract of research from Lin and Wang that they eventually found instead that quote. The microwave pulse on absorption by soft tissues in the head launches a thermoelastic wave of acoustic pressure that travels by bone conduction to the inner ear. There, it activates the cochlear receptors via the same process involved in normal hearing. So it's creating a shock wave in the soft tissue inside your head that gets that the bone picks up and then says, sounds like a sound. Yeah. And uh, you know this is uh, related to some of the the, um, the the ways that we hear sounds, such as when you hear sound uh, underwater. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the, the the bone is involved in the hear in the interception of those sound waves. Yeah. Um, now, in the early 1970s, that's where this gets into the realm of whispers and voices. When uh, Joseph Sharp and Mark Grove at the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research, they took Frey's uh, work one step further and successfully transmitted uh, speech into the human skull using pulsed microwaves. Yeah, and so. First of all, that's unsettling. Yeah. But number two, don't get carried away because it, it would be easy to overstate the effectiveness of this effect they observed. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the idea is not necessarily that you hear normal speech in right. your head as as sent by these signals. But instead, it was more that they could synth- – at least this is the impression I get mm-hmm. from what's available – I get the feeling that what they're saying is they could synthesize the sound of speech. Yes, that's what I got. It was kind of a, like a modulated voice, like one might create uh, through the use of a synthesizer. Yeah, so by using these different types of modulated pulses of microwave energy, they could create sort of clicks and buzzes that sound sort of like whispered words. Right. So, obviously, a lot of this research is taking place... Um, for the military, mm-hmm. and the military is in- inherently interested in uh, finding ways to utilize uh, new technology for their their purposes. You can just imagine the scene in the movie where there are several, you know, kind of like tough-looking generals sitting around mm-hmm. a table with their aviator sunglasses on, and they're like, oh, 
I just read about this microwave auditory effect. This will keep the troops in line, and we can really use it to undercut enemy morale by whispering. What would you whisper to the enemy to undercut their morale? Um, I guess you could say, oh, you're going to lose, or yeah. you're wrong. Or, you know, any kind of, basically anything that's propaganda that we've dropped boots. from. Worms uh, in your boots. Worms in your boots. Uh, you know, any kind of propaganda that we've dumped on the on the enemy's head, you know, mm. on leaflets, you could just inject directly into the skull, be it something, you know, something that's undermining the authority um, of their government or mm-hmm. their, um, you know, their, their mission statement, etc. Yeah, or you could go a lot cruder with it and just say, well, these generals sitting around in the room, instead what they want is something that's going to cause the sensation of deafening noises in the heads of the enemy that would just incapacitate them and make them unable to fight. Yeah, when I was looking at a 2004 Navy Phase 1 summer report that went into some of this, they, they pointed out three potential applications. Okay. Um, one as a perimeter protection sensor in uh, deterrent systems for indiv- industrial and national sites. Okay, so if you're going up to the do not cross this line line, yeah, you, start you get blasted something. with the microwaves. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Be it a buzzing or even like a do not cross, uh, do not enter kind of uh, modulated voice. Okay. Uh, number two, for use in systems to assist communication with hearing impaired persons, uh, which is rather obvious. We're talking about a way that you can cause a deaf individual to hear. Mm-hmm. So... Obviously, there would be some uh, possible uses there that are that are not, uh, you know, military yeah. uh, exclusively uh, in their uh, their purpose. Now, and, I should say at this point, we're going to offer some qualifications later yes. of the extent <laughs> to which these things can actually be used. But sorry, go ahead. And then number three, use by law enforcement and mili- military personnel for crowd control and asset protection. So okay. this gets so into the, the easily imagined scenario yeah. of turning it on a dangerous crowd. The proletariat's rioters. getting a little rowdy. You beam some microwaves at them and... I don't know what. I guess they get some really awful clicking, buzzing, and they they go home. Still, the the uh, the effect has largely remained something of a curio. Uh, though the U.S. military, you know, has again has definitely looked into it, and there were a couple of uh, of magazine articles that came out around uh, 2008 from uh, journalist David Hambling. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was published in Wired. One was published in New Scientist. We'll make sure we pu- we uh, link to both of them on the landing page for this episode. Yeah, uh, but. Uh, Hambling looked into uh, the uh, the U.S. Uh, Army study of these uh, technologies, this uh, telepathic ray gun and the Medusa, as we'll discuss. And he actually interviewed uh, a man by the name of Lev Sadovnik, who worked on the Medusa, the mob excess deterrent using silent audio device for the Come Navy. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Those acronyms. Let's call it Medusa. You guys figure out how the words come together. Right? Um and uh, Sadov- Sadovnik stated that the technology was effective, but here's the the, the crucial uh, underlying factor. It comes with the risk of brain damage due to high-intensity shock waves generated by the microwave pulse. And this is specifically when we're talking about uh, the idea of, oh, let's, let's beam some loud, annoying noise yeah. into that rioter's skull. Well... Loud noise, of course, you need uh, large vibrations, and uh, the effects of these large vibrations on the brain can be rather startling. Yes, I also found some quotes along the same lines as cited in an IEEE Spectrum article also from 2008, so I think it it was reacting to this Mm -hmm. story as published in The New Scientist. But they spoke with uh, Kenneth Foster, who is a bioengineering professor at the University of Pennsylvania, and Bill Guy, a, a, a former professor from University of Washington, who had both done research on the microwave auditory effect themselves. And both of these guys say that any microwave radiation that produced a sound loud enough to be a problem for the target would burn the target. 
so it would cook your flesh before it would deep purple you into submission. <laughs> yeah, so basically a brain melting death ray uh, instead of the uh, the peaceful crowd uh, deterrent that uh, that one would, would would be hoping to create. <laughs> peaceful uh, crowd deterrent. Yeah, that's a field I wish I was in. <laughs> um, I also ran across. Um, a report titled Bioeffects of Selected Non-Lethal Weapons that was released under the U.S. Freedom of Information Act in 2008. And this report mentioned a microwave weapon able to uh, produce disabling artificial fever by heating a person's body. <laughs> that sounds like redesignating a bug as a feature. Yeah, they're like, well, you know, maybe it doesn't so much as uh, annoy them as it makes them feel physically ill. Uh, but no tests were actually mentioned in the report, thank goodness. Um, but it did, but it did state that the, uh, the necessary equipment already existed, the necessary technology already existed, and that it would take at least 15 minutes to achieve the desired incapacitating effect. So, I guess in this case, you would just point the apparatus at the crowd and then just wait for people to give up, to get hot and, uh, fevery and, uh, wander off. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really know what happens inside the government weapons research, but just as an outsider, it kind of sounds like they found out that this cooks you before it makes the sound, and then they're like, how can we sell this? Yeah, and uh, and it doesn't seem like it really went any further than that. Yeah, but we should talk about some of the details of this supposed Medusa device. Yes, uh, that 2004 Navy Phase 1 summer report that I mentioned earlier said, uh, quote, through the combination of pulse parameters and pulse power, it is possible to raise the auditory sensation to the discomfort level, deterring personnel from entering a protected perimeter or, if necessary, temporarily incapacitating particular individuals, <laughs> which, again, is the, the goal, but it, it doesn't really match up uh, with, uh, with what the technology will actually do to but, an but individual. That, so that was the phase one report. Mm-hmm. I think I read that it didn't actually proceed beyond that, did it? I don't believe so, uh, because, you know, there, it, it was all worded very much in the optimistic, uh, you know, phrasing of, oh, all right, well, this is going to be portable, it's going to require low power, uh, it's going to have a comfortable radius of coverage and switch from crowd to individual coverage at the flip of a switch. You know, it was very much selling the uh, the wonders of this and, and, and trying to, you know, get it funded. But, uh, but as it turns out, of course, as, as we've discussed, there are some major health risks involved here, uh, mainly brain melting. Yes, cooking or melting, or or at least brain damage created by this shock wave inside the soft tissues of the head that eventually is what conveys the the sound to the ear. It's not going to be good for the person who's re- on the receiving end of this. It may injure them. It may cause uh, permanent disability or damage. Or I, I'd imagine at a certain level of power, it could even kill you. Yeah. So it re- leads us to then explore, well, what about the, the lower wavelengths? What if we just focus on whispers, something soft, something that wouldn't be, you know, would probably not be that effective in calming like a raging, rioting individual down, mm-hmm. but would have a, a more subtle effect. Okay. And indeed, uh, Dr. Uh, Sadovnik, um, in, in those papers that uh, we discussed earlier from Hambling, he suggested that it, that it might be used, this technology might be used at a low power to produce you know, a whisper that you could uh, you could certainly perceive consciously, or even su- it might even be su- a subconscious effect if uh, the power level were low enough. So you could have essentially a low whisper um, manifesting in the skull of the targeted individual, or it could be something just completely subconscious. They're not; they don't even realize they're hearing a voice. Yeah. Now, just based on what I've read, I'm not convinced that 
it has been shown that you could do even a whisper without maybe risking some health effects. So right. I, I'm not sure what the answer is on that. Or certainly it hasn't been approved for such usage uh, uh, by any governmental body that yeah, we know yeah. of. The, these are sort of lab conditions mm-hmm. we're talking about. But I got to wondering, okay, the, it's quite obvious if you want to get really cynical what somebody could do with a machine that causes the sound of whispers inside your head that nobody else can hear unless they're standing in the same microwave beam as you. But this could also possibly have some peaceful applications, right? Yeah, and there have been uh, at least two different patents uh, that have been filed for hearing devices. Uh, the first one was filed uh, uh, on December 19th, 1983 by, um, uh, satelli- uh, by uh, Philip Stockland of Satellite Beach, Florida. Uh, I'm reading, and apparently, apparently, this technology didn't pan out. Uh, but then a second patent uh, was filed by a private in- entity in 1988, uh, which was a, a hearing system that uh, would use uh, the microwave auditory effect to recreate uh, sound in the human skull. That's interesting, and I mean, if that could be done for people with hearing impairments, obviously, that would be great. Yeah. yeah. But, as uh, long but, as it didn't cause brain damage or right. poke their heads. No, no, no. As long as there's some sort of uh, block there to keep you from raising it to brain-melting levels. And then uh, in 1996, the U.S. Air Force filed uh, a patent for uh, a method and device for implementing the radio frequency hearing effect, uh, which was accepted in 2002, and then they modified it to apparatus for audibly communicating speech using the radio frequency hearing effect. So... In other words, looking at it as a, as a possible skull-to-skull um, communication system, kind of a, a, okay. a Twitter direct message from skull-to-skull. Skull. Wait, now I can see how the decoding happens, but how does the encoding happen? I don't know. I mm. guess you would have to... You know, like like I see how you receive it, mm-hmm. but how do you send it? Um, I mean, maybe it, would, maybe it would work along the same lines as any kind of like speech-to-text uh, kind of programming, you okay. know, speaking to a microphone and then it becomes text on the screen. You're essentially turning your own speech into uh, electronic information that then is transformed into uh, the correct modulation of, uh, of uh, microwaves that are then sent to the receiving uh, device. Yeah. I mean, I'm wondering in what way this is better than just having a radio receiver with some with like a, a player that makes <laughs> noise in your ear. Yeah, and I think why is it better than headphones? And I think that's probably (laughs) the issue here is when you start throwing in the technology necessary to make it work, you no longer really need the microwave auditory effect to utilize it. It's kind of I used to when I used to drive to a job about a decade ago, I used to pass this house where there was a trailer and they built all this stuff around it. They kept adding on to the trailer. And then one day I drove past and they pulled the trailer out of the middle. So it's kind of the same scenario, I feel like, with microwave auditory effect. By the time you build it up, by the time you add on to it and try to make something functional about it, you don't need the trailer anymore. Yeah. The trailer is just something that could potentially melt your brain. <laughs> now, that being said, uh, you know, there, there are still some other, you know, military applications that are more on the, uh, the subtle side. Um, now, I think these are all, these are all things that have been suggested, not right. things that have been done in practice. Yeah, and again, these are. Pro- I have a feeling most of these that if you tried and you would still have a trailer effect, if you would have to pull the trailer out and realize it doesn't quite work. But okay, but what are they? Uh, that you could use it to talk to selected uh, adversaries in a fashion that would uh, disturb them. So again, whisper into the enemy 
uh, you know, presumably in that trench over there, uh, in your World War One style combat scenario. Um, you could, you could inspire mutiny. Exactly, yeah. Uh, you could also be used as a, a decoy and deception concept, apparently. Uh, you know, create the perception of noise in the head of enemy personnel. Oh, so you like try to create sound that would indicate an attack has started when it hasn't or something? Yeah, or it makes me think of some sort of Metal Gear Solid scenario where you use a little device to make the soldier walk, the enemy soldier walk down the hallway and check out a box in the corner. Oh, I and see. And then you sneak past that sort of yeah. thing. Um, and then again, some sort of private messaging transmission system, uh, which doesn't sound like it would really work all that well. Well, as long as we're talking about military inventions, they would surely have to invent some way to protect your brain from harmful microwaves, be it brain melting or just some sort of uh, nefarious suggestion. Right? You know, this is much easier to do than you might expect. I actually tried, I, I did this based on some stuff I was reading on the internet uh, last night and and this morning about the the V2K attacks. Mm -hmm. And I read about an experiment I decided I would try for myself. It goes like this. Your cell phone receives microwaves. That's how it gets the information coming in. So I got a whole bunch of aluminum foil, and I wrapped my cell phone up in aluminum foil, and then I had Robert try to call it. Did it ring? No, it did not. No, it, it didn't. successfully blocked my attempts to infiltrate it with microwaves. Yeah, and this is playing off. Now, this might not be exactly analogous to the microwave attacks that would be coming at your head from some kind of weapon like this because the, you know, the, the power densities might be different. But if someone's aiming a microwave-based weapon at you, you should be able to protect yourself with some kind of metal shielding. In most cases, a conductive material like metal can shield against all kinds of electromagnetic waves over a certain wavelength. So, for example, why does your microwave oven cook food on the inside of the oven but not stuff sitting right beside the oven on the outside? It's because the inside of the oven is, you know, the cooking cavity is a sort of inside-out Faraday cage. It's made of metal uh, and metal mesh in the window to prevent microwaves from escaping so if you want to protect yourself from incoming microwaves, you can build a Faraday cage or just an enclosure of conductive metal. Yeah, the, just the classic tinfoil hat scenario. Yeah, right? though from what I was reading, I think a tinfoil hat might not exactly work because it doesn't enclose fully. But you could make a, a tinfoil uh, mask that mm-hmm. goes all around your head. And that would do the Yeah, so basically like Mag- Magneto's helmet made out of uh, tinfoil. And then with uh, kind of a, a see-through uh, cage on the front, also can, uh, made of tin. Yeah, it wouldn't even need to be solid because, like a Faraday cage shows, if you're talking about certain types of electromagnetic radiation, waves over a certain wavelength, a, a mesh will do fine. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be solid. So you could see through it. You can put a, a mesh mask on your head. Okay. Like, uh, what, what did you compare it to earlier? Oh, I guess like the, um, like the face shackles and cages that you would see put around, uh, <laughs> individuals' heads in, say, medieval times. You're being punished for being awful, so you have to march through the town with this on your head. But, you know, I want- Doing so, you're protected. Yeah, so if we actually did create these weapons, bringing them onto the battlefield, uh, vans that are transmitting microwave energy weapon pulses at the enemies, they can just put some screens over their heads and they should be okay. Okay. At now, least I would think so. There might be aspects of this weapon that I'm not fully understanding. I fully admit I'm not an expert on 
directed beam energy weapons. Now, I noticed that most of these uh, articles we're looking at, they don't really get into the, the you know, the, the more entertainment-based uh, uses for this. Uh, you know, yeah. Um, you know, and, and you know, salesmanship, too. You could have um, a store display that whispers in your ear. Uh, you could just have some sort of enhanced music listening experience. Uh, erotic movie posters <laughs> that get way too personal. Oh, no. Or how about this? Come see the new Friday the 13th movie filmed in Whisper Vision. Yeah? You have the. Oh, the... so you get a. Hold on. You're there in the theater and suddenly. Yes. <laughs> directly into your skull. Yeah. Now, then again, what would be the benefit of that over just playing it on speakers? Well, what's the benefit of any blank slash vision or, you know, any kind of a B-movie gimmick to get people in the theaters. You don't really need to smell the movie or or have your seat tremble, but... Or have your seat electrocuted. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, you could go down in the history books. It's like, oh, remember... Remember Whisper Vision? They used it like two times ever. And it Remember when I got brain damage from a Friday the 13th <laughs> movie? Exactly. And, of course, you know you can't remember I it can't because you got it, brain it, damage. It literally melted my brain, that film. Um, then, of course, finally, just to draw on a couple of uh, past episodes that we've had, uh, you could uh, potentially use this in your uh, technology-based religion. I want to come back to that, yeah. but go on. And then also for Echo Borgs, right? You need the, uh, the your artificial intelligence uh, to communicate its words through you. Well, maybe it could use the microwave auditory effect. Okay, yeah, I like that. That would make it even harder to detect that you're getting some of your lines from a synthetic Cyrano. And also, if you get out of line, it just melts your brain. <laughs> if you uh, if you betray uh, the Echo Borg yeah. uh, contract, if you violate its trust, it help can just, me! I'm being controlled by a computer. Yeah, round melt you right there on the podium. Man, that's tough. Yeah. Except the thing that we need to remember about this, and this is something that I think often gets lost in the shuffle. Especially when people are talking about the, the people who believe in, you know, V2K harassment and attacks mm-hmm. is that this is a beamed thing. So even if you imagine that someone is really using technology like this on you, it would be a beam that anybody in the beam would receive. Right. It it's, would... it's not like it, it, it can just synchronize to you and just you. Yeah, it would be exceedingly difficult to target an individual just throughout the course of his or her day, you know, mm-hmm. to just if there was this shadowy cabal of individuals and they had this device, it it would just be way too difficult for them to, to carry this out. Like, how would you effectively utilize it against them uh, throughout their day? You just couldn't do it. You could maybe hit them while they're sleeping. Man, like that couldn't that yeah, would maybe yeah. work. But you'd have to set up again mm-hmm. every time they move. Yeah. So and then why how come other people who just walked in front of them wouldn't hear it? Yeah. And again, it just also comes back to why are they so interested in you? What is it about you? Why are they making your life miserable? Why are they why are they subjecting you to this electronic torture? Certainly a good question to ask. Yeah. But I wanted to come back to the thing about the techno religion because as we can observe throughout history, very often things that eventually become fairly accepted or even mainstream religions start off as small communities that are, you know, propagating beliefs that almost no one else accepts or takes seriously. But once they've been around for a while, people just accept their beliefs and say, okay, this is part of our culture now. There are these certain people who believe X. So because these people are coming together on the Internet now and have the ability to form communities based around the the beliefs 
that they have. I wonder if over time belief in electromagnetic voice propagation and electromagnetic torture will morph into a religion or fairly mainstream religion type belief. Hmm. Yeah, we'll have to check back in a 100 years, 200 years and see where we are. All right, so there you have it. V2K. I do want to close out, though, by seriously saying that if you find yourself hearing voices in your daily life, um, I do go seek professional help because yeah. it's uh, it's something that you need to get checked out with uh, by a, a mental health professional. That's my uh, that's my advice. Yeah, like I said at the beginning, it's not our goal just to tell you that what you think is happening to you is not happening to you. I know that that's not really helpful, but at least you should seek the help of someone who is a, a psychiatric healthcare professional. Yeah, in the same way that the people on the, the online forum are going to make you feel as if you are not alone, I think you can get that same uh, feeling and that same reassurance from a mental health uh, care professional because certainly you are not alone. There are other people who, who deal with this and, mm-hmm. and, and have, uh, have come out the other end of it. So there is hope. Yeah. All right, so if you want uh, more on this particular topic, check out the landing page for this episode at stufftoblowyourmind.com. I'll be sh- we'll be sure to include some links out to some of these resources that we've discussed, uh, the, the key papers, uh, for instance. And stufftoblowyourmind.com also has all the other podcast episodes, videos, blog posts, links out to social media accounts, you name it. And if you want to send us any feedback, uh, let us know about your experiences or share any positive applications you could think of for voice-to-skull technology, if it wouldn't melt your brain, that is. You can let us know at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 